Well, friends, this evening we are taking a short interlude from the Gospel of Luke, where we have been reading and learning from the past several weeks, and turning our attention to Philemon. If you just felt the urge to say Gesundheit, or thought to yourself, Philly, what now? You are not far off base. I didn't even know that the book was part of the New Testament until my second semester of seminary. And I have to tell you, it's not really one of my favorite books of the Bible. Philemon would not make it to the top of my favorite list, that's for sure. You see, Philemon is actually a very short letter that Paul wrote to a guy by the name of Philemon who was a Christian slave owner who was living in Colossae. This letter is one of the scriptures that supported slavery and that sla- or supporters of slavery grossly misused to justify American slavery here. In this letter to Philemon, Paul seems to be a supporter himself by perpetuating the ancient customs of institutionalized slavery at the time. I often find myself wondering why this text is included in our scriptures. What could possibly be its purpose? What good news could it possibly entail for us? As we ponder these questions together this evening, I wanted to begin by naming this tension and make just a few claims before we start. Institutionalized slavery in all of its forms, the action of turning human beings into a commodity to be bought and sold for profit is a sin. The misuse and misappropriation of scripture to justify the practice of slavery or any practice that might cause harm to another person is a sin. The disease of racism that undergirded slavery and that persists today is also sinful. And as Christians, we are called to be about the work of dismantling it. And I believe that by its place in the Bible, Philemon can and does have a kernel of truth for us to ponder tonight. So we hold these claims, these claims that I've just shared before us all, as guideposts as we explore where the Holy Spirit might be leading us tonight. As always... I invite you to hear this scripture this evening in a new way. Pay attention to where the tension is held in your body, where the spirit is tugging at your heart. After the reading, I would love to hear what surprises you about the way Paul speaks about the person he is writing on behalf of in this letter. What surprises you is what I'm, I'm looking for. Let's hear what God has to say to us through Paul's letter to Philemon. I thank my God always when I mention you in my prayers. 
because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith toward the Lord Jesus. I pray that the partnership of your faith may become effective as you comprehend all the good that we share in Christ. I have indeed received so much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. For this reason, though I am more bold, more than bold enough in Christ to command you to do the right thing, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, Paul, do this as an old man and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I'm appealing to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him, that is, my own heart, back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that he might minister to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while, so that you might have him back for the long term, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Say nothing about your owing me, even, for, even your own self. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. My friends, this is the word of God given to us as the children of God, and we all say together, Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Holy God, by your spirit, help us to see the ways you draw us deeper into your heart through the words of scripture. Even when it is hard, Lord Jesus, open our eyes and our hearts and our minds so we can holistically see how you are leading us into your kingdom through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, my friends, so what did the Spirit say to you? What surprised you about Paul's description of Onesimus? If you're joining us online, please pop in in the comment section if you feel led. What surprised you? Thoughts? Mm-hmm. Mm. He, was just, he was talking about you know, how if his child is doing anything against you, but it 
I agree. And as, and as believers, I feel that something we should all do. I agree. You know, we should all be trying to make one another and lift each other up. I agree wholeheartedly. I love it. And I can sit down now because you just preached my sermon for me. <laughs> Thank you, Pops. Any other thoughts? We encounter Onesimus through Paul's pen this evening. We are entering the story at the climax where Paul is sending him back to Philemon with this letter clutched to his chest. But to capture the full weight of this moment, we need to jump back to the beginning of the story. What led to this moment? What brought these two unlikely characters together? Now, Scripture doesn't give us much backstory, but historians believed that Onesimus was a slave who did escape from Philemon's household. We don't know anything about what life must have been like for Onesimus, but we can hope by the nature of Philemon's Christian faith that he was a relatively fair-minded master. But typically, historically, life was brutal and unbearable for slaves in the Roman Empire. Onesimus found his way to Rome and to the house of Paul, who was under house arrest in Rome. There was an ancient Greek practice inherited by the Romans to provide sanctuary and protection to any escaped slave while trying to persuade them to return to the household from which they came. But because of the sheer number of slaves at this time, the Roman government was fearful of a revolt. Therefore, common practice was to either put the runaway to death or brand them in such a way that would render them unprofitable. Friends, just saying this makes my blood curdle. As I was researching and writing this sermon, I had to pause and remind myself that we were, I was researching and writing about human beings, human life, not mere animals. The language around these practices in my research felt cold and detached, sickening and unholy. But when I returned to Paul's description of Onesimus, I was hit with a rush of humanity. He describes Onesimus with deep personal words, claiming him, calling him my child and my own heart. In so doing, Paul seems to name and elevate Onesimus's worth by his high praise we can imagine that their time together was nothing short of healing and holy, empowering and affirming. But then Paul sent him back, a man once again at the mercy of another. 
braving the possible wrath to come for a choice he had made with the knowledge of the consequence. Paul sends him back, clutching a letter that just might be his saving grace. It's easy for us to fall into and be captivated by Onesimus' story and journey. And let's be real, this book should have been entitled Onesimus rather than Philemon, because Onesimus is the true hero, the protagonist. We long to identify with him and see how our story might fit along his. But I believe God is inviting us to examine the other side of this story, too, to consider how we might also see and learn from Philemon's experience as well. To peer into the context Philemon was living in, we first need to acknowledge once again and lament the broken society and the system in which he found himself, the system of institutional slavery that he was operating under. From this bird's eye view, we can see that Philemon might and what Philemon might have been feeling We can imagine that Philemon might have trusted Onesimus with a portion of his life and home, trusted him with the responsibility of caring for members of his family, trusted him to follow the rules and unspoken customs, maybe even trusted him as a friend. So following that line of thinking, we can imagine that for Philemon, Onesimus's escape was earth-shattering, trust-crumbling, disappointing, and possibly even heart-breaking. Not only was it customary for runaway slaves to receive the harshest punishment, but I also think that when we as humans feel wronged or hurt or taken advantage of, Our immediate knee-jerk reaction and knee-jerk response is to strike back with malice or hatred out of our own brokenness. Does this sound a little familiar to you? I think that we can all find moments where we have felt let down, where our confidence and trust in someone that we called a friend breaks where we are disappointed and angry with our partners or children, where we feel loved or supported or unsupported and unloved by the people that we love and care about the most. As a parent of a three-year-old, there are moments where Christian can be so defiant, so unlike the sweet little boy that I know and love. The more he yells, the more frustrated I become until my frustration boils over and I act before thinking, where my actions add fuel to his fire rather than put out the flames. In this world that we live in, our human nature tells us 
our initial response to conflict, the way we respond to pain and to heartache and to hurt feelings is by getting defensive and lashing out. We see that model in our politics, in our social media, in our entertainment, and even here at, her, at church, within our own denomination. Maybe Paul's nugget of truth for us this evening is that that is not the only way. That is not the holy way. So how might God be inviting us to a new response to conflict? I think we can begin to parse out the answer to this question by turning to the image the prophet Jeremiah recounts for us from the scripture that Danny read just a few minutes ago. In this passage, God likens God's relationship to us to a potter who is busy working and reworking clay into vessels. Have you ever seen a potter work, my friends? A potter, a good potter, she begins with a mound of clay on a potter's wheel, formless and without shape. Then she wets her hands and gets to work to create the image that she sees in her mind by placing her hands on that clay and gently reshaping that clay into something beautiful. Sometimes she finds an uneven, a jagged spot where she needs to rework and reshape remold to better fit the image that has been laid on her mind, the image she set out to create. And in the end, after hours and hours of reworking that clay, she is left with a perfected creation. I wonder, I wonder if this is what God invites us into times of conflict where we are invited not only to be clay ourselves, to be reworked and reshaped as we encounter what it means to live and move and have our being in a world that is nowhere near perfect. But maybe it's also an invitation to see that everyone else is clay as well. That people who hurt us, who disappoint us, who make us angry, who stretch our patience, may be in conflict. They, too, are being reworked and reshaped and remade into a different but still similar image of Christ. I think that's a little of what occurred in Onesimus' life when he was living with Paul, the process, this process of reworking and reshaping and remaking into the image of Christ. I believe that's why Paul said in his letter to Onesimus, perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while, so that you might have him back for the long term. 
No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul is inviting Philemon to see how God has been at work in and through the life of Onesimus, even though that initial choice very plausibly angered and hurt and broke Philemon's trust and confidence. So in asking Onesimus to return, to send this letter, Paul in turn is asking Philemon to do the same work. He says, confident of your obedience, Philemon, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I have asked here in this letter. My friends, this is our charge as children of God and as people who are moving into this idea of what we Methodists call Christian perfection. As we grow in grace more and more into the image of Christ, as Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is reworking and reshaping us, we will continue to be confronted with people and things that make us angry, that hurt us, people who test our boundaries and try our faith. But God, our potter, is at work using every single experience but especially the ones of conflict, to rework and reshape who we are. But we have to trust and lean on the truth that if God is doing that in our lives, then the same is also true for those with whom we are guarding our hearts from. Just as God is with us, Friends, remember that God is with them also. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.